How many of you have played a sport that requires uh, specific gear in order to be competitive or safe? Pretty much everyone, hopefully. You've all played some kind of sport. Yeah, every sport has something to give you that edge. I mean, even curling has brooms and shoes, right? Special shoes. But what typically happens if you show up to play without any gear while everyone else came prepared? Most likely you're going to get beat or even hurt. Now, in the passage we're going to read today, we're not talking about a game, but a spiritual war. So let's read Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The point is, church, God has given us armor and weaponry, and he expects us to put it on and go to war for him. Look at Paul's life in Acts. So you had conversion, and he traveled most of the Roman Empire preaching the gospel and was persecuted for the sake of Christ. He did battle. He understands the importance of needing God's armor. It wasn't so he can boast of these things, but it was because of the vision Christ cast on his life. We see this in Paul's explanation of this vision to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 16 to 18. I'll read it to you. But rise and stand upon your feet. This is him recounting Christ speaking to Paul. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in, in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, Christ is calling each of us to turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. And this is a battle. And God has provided us with the proper equipment to participate. And to engage in this battle, we can't live lethargically for God. We must utilize the armor God has given and to do so often. So my first point is put on God's armor every day put on God's armor every day. With the armor of God, we are able to withstand in the evil day. Now let me ask you, remember, who is currently ruling the earth? 
Satan. Yeah, it's Satan. And we are, who are followers of Christ are Satan's enemies. And he will attack the church in various ways. But will you have your armor on when he does? There's a term I want you to be familiar with. It is readiness. See, one who has developed readiness, especially in regards to battle, has been disciplined and intentional in preparation and training. To have excellent battle readiness is to be ready for potential battle, though you may not know when it comes. As we go through these verses, I want you to think about your battle readiness regarding your discipline and putting on the armor of God. This battle readiness reminds me of of Nehemiah, where the people are in process of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And as they are rebuilding, enemies appear, and they threaten to attack. Now, in response, Nehemiah has all the workers arm themselves. And we see this in Nehemiah chapter 4, 17 through 18. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. I mean, what, what unity we see here in the, the people of God who understand the threat, but also serve each other. In the story, we see the people building up the city that they dwell in, not just for themselves, but it's the city where they worship the Lord. And also notice that they carry a sword in the other hand or strapped to their side in order to protect each other as they're building up the city. Today, God continues to build his dwelling place. But it's not a building as we think. It's the church. If you remember back in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Realize that the armor of God is not just for you to single-handedly take on the kingdom of darkness. It is the entire body of Christ, the church, together. See, we train each other in ministry. And while we think of ministry as, as service, it is also a direct attack toward darkness. See, we are much stronger together. And together, we serve a God who will not be overcome. In fact, Christ has overcome the world and has overcome the powers and principalities that are against him. So we need to be a people that are both building each other up and ready to battle darkness. We must have our tool belts and swords strapped on. Because we don't know when the attack will come, but it will. So let's put on the armor of God, the armor that God has provided. And we're going to take a look at each item of armor that Paul mentions. And as we go through each item, realize that Paul is referencing this image of a Roman soldier. I have a little picture for you. You've got some Roman soldiers there. And each item has a a purpose that benefits the soldier in combat. The armor of God benefits the Christian. 
to stand fast in spiritual battle, to stand firm. So to stand firm, we first put on the belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth. For the Roman soldier, this item kept their robe tucked up, allowing freedom of movement. And likewise, Paul pictures truth to function as a belt, allowing freedom. So what is this truth that Paul references? The truth could be correct theology, or more specifically, the gospel. If you think about it, the gospel gives us the understanding of the human, that the human condition is, sin, is in sin. And Christ's salvation is through the cross. His resurrection is from the dead. And our sanctification is to bring us back into his image. And that the coming of Christ's eternal kingdom will come to pass. See, understanding these different facets of the gospel leads us to know God's character. That we follow Christ and that we have a new identity. And it leads us to obey Christ's commands. It leads us to hope in God. And that we have our faith in God. And to know that God's love is vast. That it's sacrificial. So without the truth, without the gospel, we would still be in bondage. Slaves to sin, left in darkness. How does the truth benefit us? Well, Christ says in John 8, 31 to 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The gospel truth gives us confidence and obedience to our holy Lord. It ignites a willingness to give our lives to the one who gave his life for us on our behalf. So he resurrected. He defeated death and sin. And he proclaimed victory. And we who were enemies are now given a new identity to be citizens in Christ's kingdom. Do you remember how you thought before knowing Christ in the gospel? Before knowing the truth? You and I believed the lies that were worthless. And that you need to act selfishly to be of any value. I mean, just look at the different systems of the world. And how they are presented to us. Like advertisements. They're all about selling you things to give yourself value. Politics are about your power. Careers are about success in money and reputation. And the enemy has set us up to think in terms of these lies so that we ignore the truth. Despite this, God has re- revealed the truth to us. And we as Christians are to wear this belt of truth. Now, why did Paul link truth with a belt? See, without a belt, a soldier, soldier's armor falls apart hindering the soldier when engaged in battle. And without truth, we too are hindered. This type of imagery isn't only found in Paul's writing, but also in Isaiah 11.5. See, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness 
the belt of his loins. Now this, this spoke of the Messiah wearing the belt of righteousness and faithfulness on himself. It is describing the importance of his character. And for us, we are to wear the belt of truth. If we think that we don't need to remind ourselves of God's truth, we will be hindered. For instance, if you forget either the love of God or God's righteousness, both of which are true, then you can easily find yourself in a dark place. I've seen many people, including myself, be hit with difficulties in this life and come to a place where we blame God. And in those moments, we've forgotten the truth. We've forgotten that God does love you, that he is righteous. But we try to put ourselves over God to judge him, to blame him. This is why we need to allow God to speak truth into our lives. We need to be in his word. We need to be taught what is truth. We need to be convicted by the truth. And we need to apply the truth. And we need to speak the truth in love. This is a lifelong practice of putting on the belt of truth every day. It is essential to be effective in the battle that's before us. As is the next piece of armor that we put on, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Well, the breastplate of the soldier protected the vital organs in the torso. This piece had to withstand the blow. Now, why would Paul place righteousness as having such an important role in protecting this area? I think it will be clear as we, we define righteousness. Hans has presented this definition to you before. That righteousness is being in right relationship between God, oneself, one another, and creation. Let me repeat that. Righteousness is being in right relationship between God, oneself, one another, and creation. Let me ask you, whose righteousness are we to put on? Yeah, you could say God's, but you could also say your own. But I thought, I thought the Bible said in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You're right, it does say that, because I just read it. Isaiah is pointing out that we could do nothing to save ourselves that we have sinned against God, but there would come one who is righteous, as we read earlier in Isaiah 11.5. And it also says, uh, regarding the Messiah in Isaiah 59.17, let me read to you, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. See, Christ who is righteous came to save us, to make us new. And we see this in Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, our new life in Christ needed to start with him imputing 
or covering his own righteousness on us. It starts with his righteousness. And this new life is not to lead us back to our old ways of unrighteousness. It is to lead us to walk in righteousness while fully backed by Christ's righteousness. First John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So we are called to practice righteousness from the reality that God's righteousness covers us. So he saved us. It's his righteousness. He's asking us to walk in our righteousness from his. So here's another verse that words it well. Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout out before all the nations. We need the righteousness of God. And after receiving it, we need to practice righteousness ourselves. So let me ask you this. Have you received the righteousness of God? Have you received the righteousness of God? Has the gospel of Christ transformed your life so that you do acts of righteousness that you did not do before? If yes, praise God for the work that he has done. And continue to wear righteousness as it guards what is vital to stand as a Christian. For if we never practice righteousness, we have not allowed the transforming work of Christ to enter our lives, which means salvation has not been received by you. How we need the gospel and for it to be proclaimed in our lives. Which is why Paul attaches the gospel to the next item. Which my next point is, put on gospel shoes. Put on gospel shoes. Back in Ephesians 6, verse 15, it says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why shoes? I mean, why didn't Paul make the gospel attached to a flaming battle axe, right? No, remember what the word gospel means. What does it mean? Good news. Amen. Yeah, good news is something that's to be communicated. In ancient times, it was important to communicate news of a battle. The army would send a runner to bring this communication. Sometimes good news, sometimes bad news. And in some cultures, bringing bad news would be the death of the messenger. You're probably familiar with the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Now, when it was good news, there would be an eagerness in the runner, running faster and harder. And if the runner's shoes were poor, well, their effectiveness in delivering this news quickly was hindered. 
Now, this isn't the only use of this image. Uh, of delivering this good news in the Bible. We see this in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Bringing the good news of the gospel will bring peace to those that receive Christ who find assurance in him as Lord. Now, to those who are perishing, though, it's a death sentence. We find this in 2 Corinthians 2.14-17. to 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of, no, of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The gospel is life to those who receive it as truth and submit themselves to Christ. Notice Paul makes reference to his commission to speak this good news. And it's not like a peddler or, in our day and age, a telemarketer or a pushy car salesman. No, Paul does it with sincerity. It's real to him. And the gospel affects how Paul lived. He also knows that he has been commissioned by God. In other words, he has been given a direct order from the king. So let me ask you, how are you communicating the gospel? How are you communicating the gospel? Are you silent? Are you a telemarketer? Or are you sincere? What preparations have you made to communicate the gospel? Have you built relationship with people and example to them who is Christ? See, we are to be a church that has a, a readiness to share the gospel. But it starts in knowing and receiving it for yourself. Now, to receive the gospel, you need faith. Which is the next point. Take up the shield of faith. Find that in Ephesians 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, what kind of shield do you think Paul would be picturing? Well, I'll tell you. It's not Captain America's. It's not his little tiny round shield. I would suggest to you it is a Roman centurion's shield. It is tall and wide enough to hide uh, your entire body behind. And the centurions used it in a variety of ways. Um, so like when, when objects like spears and arrows and et cetera were, were uh, projected at them, um, they would get in this formation where the first row, you know, I'll just give you a picture there, first row of centurions would line their shields on the ground next to each other, and then the next row of centurions 
would lay their shields horizontally on top of the first row of shields to create this roof to hide under. This formation was referred to as the testudo, or tortoise. Essentially, forming the shell around the, the soldiers. Also, they would march in the line, uh, shields butted up to shields, uh, not just to deflect weapons, but they would use the shield line to push into the enemy line in order to try and break it. And in this passage, we see that it is faith that is pictured as a shield. Our faith is our allegiance and our trust in Christ. It is our belief in his promises. See, if we lacked faith, the enemy's attack would pierce through our allegiance and trust in God. If we don't trust and submit to God, then the enemy has claimed victory over us. Because we would reject the salvation given by God. We would remain against God. And sin would continue to enslave us. But by faith in Christ, we overcome the enemy. Let's read in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, that we, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, our faith is a proclamation of victory. Faith isn't about us trying to win the war. Christ is victorious. He has won the war, but the enemy keeps fighting. So our faith proclaims the victory of Christ. Our faith is proclaimed by our love for God, our love for each other, and our obedience to Christ. So brothers and sisters, stand firm in your faith. In Christ who is victorious. Use that shield of victory to protect you from the flaming darts of the enemy. Don't believe the lies that draw you away from Christ, that cause you to doubt him. The enemy is defeated. And it is, it, in time, the reality of this victory will come to pass. And though we are in dark days, Christ's light shines in his people. So let us grow in love for each other, showing our obedience to Christ. And with every obedience to Christ, we advance the line against the enemy. So stand firm. Hold the line. Know that you belong to Christ. Now, another very important piece of armor needed in battle is the helmet. Brings us to our next point, the helmet of salvation. To put on the helmet of salvation. Find that in verse 17a, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet obviously protects the head. And this is a foundational piece of armor, because without your head, you're dead. 
The same is true of salvation. Without the salvation given by Christ, we would remain dead in our sin. Now, salvation didn't just make us alive in Christ, but it also renewed our minds. See this in Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Without salvation, we wouldn't have a regenerate mind. Without a regenerate mind, we wouldn't be able to discern the will of God and walk in obedience to his commands. Salvation is key to our thinking. Yet, our thoughts battle that salvation. We battle the lies of the enemy and the false realities that we create to cope in this broken world. And this battle is very real, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we must hold to the foundation of salvation. See, without salvation, we lose sight of who God is and who he is calling us to be. So take hold of your thoughts and ask the question, are they true in light of the salvation and who Christ says you are? Are they true in light of salvation and who Christ says you are? If not, lock it down with the reality of your salvation in Christ. If you find yourself engaging in this battle a hundred times per day, realize you're not alone in that battle. All of us in the church are together in this. We all are struggling in this. Encourage each other. Now, the last piece of armor that Paul calls us to be equipped with is the sword of the Spirit. Find this in verse 17b, chapter 6. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, a sword is both offensive and defensive. And when wielded by a trained soldier, it is a fierce weapon. Now let's look at a couple verses of the, of the one who wields it properly, Jesus Christ. First we'll look at Revelation 19, verses 13 through 16. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see Christ returning with his army. And he's not only just called the word of God, but from his mouth is described as a sharp sword. 
Now we know from the mouth we speak words. And his words in this verse cut down the nations. The reality to glean from this is that the word of God is powerful. It's powerful. There is nothing that can stand against it. The word of God, it cuts down to the truth. No one is above it. No one can hide from it. And one day, all will be submitted to the word of God. So I would suggest to you and I now that we do so. We submit to it now. All too often, the word is twisted by the enemy and by humanity. Yet, it's God's words that will prevail. As Jesus has modeled for us in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice that every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, it was met back with the word of God. Even when Satan tried to twist the word to tempt, and often he tempts through a perversion of who God is, Jesus corrected that error with the true word of God. So how well do you know the word of God? That you can wield it down to cast down temptation? Is it ready at your side at all times? We need to be a people equipped with the Word of God. Now, we've gone through the pieces of equipment that make up the armor of God, but the primary context in which uh, we battle is in prayer. So Paul finishes with this war cry to put on the armor and go to war. And the primary way we do so is through prayer. So my last point is put on your armor and go to war. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So what is it to pray in the spirit? It is reliance on the Spirit in communicating with the Father, helping us to pray and for our prayer to be heard. 
See, the Spirit binds us with God and his people on the mission to fight against the kingdom of darkness. Imagine with me if each of us wake, uh, wake each and every day ready to go to war together. Each of us getting on our knees daily based on the truth of God's word with the goal of bringing God's righteousness to bear in the world, praying for avenues to show and speak the gospel of Christ, taking up the shield of, of our faith as protection against all that comes against us, knowing that nothing can strike us down because of the salvation that God has given us and that cannot be taken away. In this kind of prayer, we wield the sword of the Spirit and fight against the lies that flow freely from the accused. Now, Jesus' example prayer to us, if you would turn to Matthew 6, 7 through 13. says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's take our lead from Christ when we pray. Here is the application I want us to try and implement this week as we engage in battle through prayer. First, give God praise. Give him the praise that he deserves in truth. Remember what God has done for you, that the the armor he has equipped you with. Praise him as your king. Second, pray for God's will to be done. Pray for his will to be done. This is how we we join with him in his mission and uh, to bring his gospel and righteousness to bear on the earth. Third, pray for what you need and for what those around you need. Pray for what you need and for what those around you need. See, our God wants to outfit us and minister to us so that we can go into battle prepared. He doesn't want us lacking. Fourth, pray against the work of the enemy. Pray against the work of the enemy. Prayer is battle. Pray for those who are in the snares of the enemy, that they may understand the gospel of Christ and walk in freedom. And fifth, pray for forgiveness and reconciliation. Pray for forgiveness and reconciliation. Nothing does more damage to the kingdom of darkness than forgiveness and reconciliation. See, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, and it starts with praying for it. See, our God made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And he not only wants 
that for everyone, but he wants that for our relationships with each other, to work towards reconciliation that gives Christ glory and it defeats the goals of our enemy. See, Paul, Paul has given us a lot to put in place in these verses. See, to put on the armor of God is not just to think about truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. It is also to put these into practice every day of our lives. My challenge for us is to take time this week, assess whether or not we go to war to this level. Church, are you battle ready? Christ has outfitted us, so let's take on that armor this week and engage in battle through prayer.